Romans chapter number 12. And uh, I don't know about you, I thank God when He, when he stirs our hearts in a, in a, a way that, that is not a typical everyday stirring. Uh, I, I think we ought to be stirred every day as we walk with Him. And if not, there's something wrong there. There ought to be something that stirs inside of us when we spend time with Him. But there ought to be seasons of unique presence of God in our lives. I'm reminded of a story I've shared it a few times of Dr. Charles Weigel years ago who went to Pasadena, California for some revival meetings and had heard of the world-famous Rose Gardens out there. And uh, between meetings, he wanted to go see them, and so he spent the day the afternoon out at the Rose Gardens and looking at the beauty and just the magnificence of the roses out there. And he went to the meeting that night, and many of the folks came up to him and asked him how he loved, how he liked the, the gardens. And after two or three folks came and asked him that, he asked one of the fellows, he said, how is it that you know of my personal affairs and where I was this afternoon that I was at the Rose Gardens? And the man said to him, because the presence of the roses lingers on you. And I thought, boy, wouldn't it be wonderful if it would be said of God's people that His presence lingered on us. We spend time with Him. Those special seasons of Him stirring and doing something magnificent in our hearts that is needful. Uh, I hope we can keep the embers burning. Uh, We don't let them die out. And I fear in the day and age that we live, there's a lot of cold Christianity that goes on, even in good churches. And from time to time, we need to be stirred again. And Paul told Timothy to stir up the gift that was in him. And if, if Paul was instructing Timothy that he needed to stir him up, then there's the, op- the opportunity that he let some of that, that die down in his life. And sometimes we need to be stirred. And I thank God for those moments that he does. Sometimes they're public uh, in services. Sometimes they're private. But, oh, uh, what a stirring that there is sometimes. And I thank God for that. And I hope that we experience that on a regular basis, that God keeps us stirred up and uh, on fire for Him. I hope we don't ever lose our vision for the lost. I really don't. Uh, but we've got a great task ahead of us, and we, we certainly need to walk with God. We certainly need to seek His power in our lives and ministries. And those are paramount. Uh, I wonder often if we're out of God's will, doing His work His way, but without His power. And I think so often we have uh, attempted to do God's work. We've even attempted to do it His way, but we have neglected His power. And when Christ told His disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, He told them, but tarry ye in Jerusalem. I want you to go, but don't go yet. That's what He was saying. Until you be endued with power from on high. And all that we would seek for that. We live in a day where we are needful of it. We've got so much craziness going on in the name of Christianity. We need some power of the Holy Spirit resting upon our ministries. And pray that God will allow us to do that. Let's look in Romans chapter 12. I was going to try to finish our message this morning. You all have to come back next Sunday. We tried twice to get to the message this morning. Didn't make it. But uh, from time to time, God does that, I think. Romans chapter number 12. And I'm just going to read some very familiar passages and I like what Peter says several often. It tells uh, several times in Scripture about the idea of bringing to remembrance. And so the, a lot of what we'll preach on tonight is not anything new, but by way of remembrance uh, that we would uh, have uh, our hearts stirred again and fresh and anew. 
I want us to look, if you will, in the verse, first few verses. As Paul writes, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your, what's the next word? Reasonable service. It's not even extraordinary. It's just the norm. It's what's expected. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Father, we come to you tonight. I pray that you'll bless the time that we spend around your word. Lord, already today I... I uh, don't know if anybody in, got anything out of the message this morning, but Lord, you've certainly worked in my heart. And I pray that you'll do a work again tonight. And Father, that you would stir a fire that will not soon go out. I pray that you would use us in a very special way to do the work that you've given for us to do. Lord, I ask for your power. And Lord, I long for it in my life, and I pray that you would bring it in the lives of others in the room tonight. Because, Lord, we realize and we know that if we attempt your work in our own power, we will have minimal results at best. We know that your word will not go return void and uh, that it will work in spite of us. But, Lord, it would be wonderful if it could work because of us. I pray that you would help us to seek for your will and your direction in our lives. And Lord, I ask that you would do something tonight that inwardly I cannot do, and that is to work in the hearts. And Father, I, I, I wish there were some times that we could just open our hearts and let, let you see exactly what was in them. And knowing that you know all of our hearts all the time, I pray that you would help us to come to your word with that realization tonight. That you know every corner of it. I pray that you would help us to have our hearts exposed open to you tonight. Yielded fully, completely to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. And one of the things that is unique about the word beseech is it's a little more than just asking. Uh, the, the, the idea behind it is that there is, is almost a, uh, probably a better word, would, a closer word would be to be begging or pleading, if you will. Uh, the idea that there's, there's strong emotion behind it, that Paul comes to the Christians as he's writing here and he says, I'm pleading with you. I'm, I'm begging with you. I, I want your eyes to be open. I want you to see these things. And so I want you to understand that the heart that Paul is coming to them with as he gets ready to bring some of these truths from this passage to light, that it's not just another uh, Sunday evening service or Sunday morning service that they're attending. But Paul is saying, listen, folks, there's something that needs to, to be brought to the forefront of our thoughts. This is of paramount importance. And so he pleads with them, he, he, if you will, uh, pardon the phrase, he, he begs with them as he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. And he has the right to do so. Some people would look at this and say, well, who was Paul? That he would come to the brethren and challenge them in the things of the Lord. To me, it's amazing that Paul at one point wrote, uh, I believe it was to the church in Philippi, forgetting those things which are behind, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And, and the idea that Paul knew the realization that in order for him to be able to move forward for the Lord Jesus Christ, he could not let his past haunt him. And I cannot help but think that the devil knew that. And the devil, I believe, quite often brought up in Paul's life his past. 
saying, Paul, who are you? What makes you think God can use you? There may be folks sitting here tonight, and I'll tell you right now, I've been through it. Where I've questioned and I've said, Lord, how in the world can you use me? But the truth of the matter is, Paul knew what it was to forget the things that were behind him and to, and to look forward to what God can do for him. And some people may question, well, Paul, who are you to be able to plead with us and to beseech us in these matters? And Paul, being the kind of man that he was, a man of great humility who thought himself by the end of his ministry to be the chiefest of sinners, he tells the people that he's not beseeching them for his account or for on his behalf. But he says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the, what are they? The mercies of God. God has been merciful to you. Paul says, I've got every right to plead with you on this case and on this matter because God has been merciful to you. And as God has been merciful to you, He asks something of us. He goes on to say, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies. And I want to just stop there for a moment. I know we're going through this just one thing at a time here. But can I say this? God does not want us to come grudgingly and sacrifice our lives for Him. God wants us to come with a heart of love. God wants us to come with a heart of yieldedness and tenderness and saying, Lord, all that I have is because of You. And here it is. I give You it all. I love the story. Love the story. When David numbered the nation of Israel and God gave him judgment, allowed him to choose three days of the Lord chastening the country, and the angel of the Lord came and slew all those men of Israel. If you read the account, the Bible says that David put himself in God's hands because he knew that God was merciful. And after all those men had been slain and there was yet to be more to be slain, the angel of the Lord comes and hovers between heaven and earth, the Bible says, with his sword outstretched over Jerusalem. And God said, it is enough. David goes up on the side of Mount Moriah where there's a man by the name of Ornan who's threshing his wheat. And he comes to Ornan and he says, I want you to give me a place to sacrifice. And I need something to sacrifice. And I need instruments to use to sacrifice with. And I like what Ornan said. He said, I give it all. I love that. David, being the man that he was, said, no, I'm not going to give something to God that doesn't cost me anything. And I, I appreciate David's character in that. But all oh, that we would have some ornaments in our ministries that would come and say, God, my hands are off of my life. I give it all. I'm going to give everything I can to you. I'm going to lay my life down willingly. Not because the preacher got up and guilted me into it. Not because my Sunday school teacher preached so hard on it. Not because, not because I'm even obligated to it, Lord. I want to give you my life because I love you. The greatest commandment in Scripture is that we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. And it ought to be the chief motivation before all else. I thank the Lord that there are commands of God that He gives us. And I believe that we ought to obey God, but I hope we don't ever obey grudgingly. 
I remember as a kid obeying my parents and pouting and stomping all the way along the way. I hope we don't do that with God. When God wants us to give our lives as a sacrifice to be used by Him, I believe He wants us to come and say, Lord, I love You so much. Here it is. I give it all. I give it willingly. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. I was talking to fellow of a mission organization down in Florida. He was the president of the mission organization. One day he and I were flying across the state and he said, uh, he said, you know, one of the problems with a living sacrifice is it keeps crawling down off the altar. I thought, boy, I, there's such a, a, a power in that statement because the truth of the matter is we're all human, aren't we? I remember as a young person coming to the altar time after time when people would get up and preach and God would stir my heart and I would make commitments to God only to go back in a month or two or three or four later, be right back where I was again. The truth of the matter is we'll never get in the Christian life where we've arrived. Paul said he hadn't attained it. He hadn't gotten there yet. We're never going to get to the end of our, our race until the day that God calls us home. And until then, we need to continually come to God and say, Lord, I'm taking my hands off of my life and I'm yielding it completely and wholly to you. And it's got to be a daily thing. That we present our bodies a living sacrifice. Look what he says. Holy. Well, we could stop there and preach on that one for a while, couldn't we? The day that we live. We're living in such a corrupt world. And by the way, let me just say this. It's no new thing. I believe the time of Christ's return is very near at hand. The Bible says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. The world's been like this before. But the truth of the matter is, we need to have a revival of holiness. I'm not talking about in the United States of America as a whole. I'm talking about in the lives of Christians. That there would come time that we do a self-examination and say, Lord, I'm still separated from the world, but I'm not where I used to be. We need to get back to that. The standard is not how far from the world we are. The standard is God's Word. We don't move from there. We don't say, I'm so far from the world because the world's always changing. The world's waxing worse and worse, the Bible says. So we don't measure ourselves by how far we are from the world. I'm so tired of churches that identify themselves by what they are not. We need to start getting back to God's Word and saying, this is what I measure myself by. I measure it by what I am. I'm a Christian that has yielded myself, my life, my body to the Lord Jesus Christ as a living sacrifice. And I've not done it grudgingly, but I've done it with all of my heart. And he goes on to say in verse number 1 that we are to be holy. And by the way, it is acceptable to God when we're holy. And he goes on to say, which is your reasonable service. I've pondered this portion of this verse for so many years. I'd like to say that I try to do these things simply because it's reasonable. But in my mind, I, I, try to, I think sometimes I get to the point where I think I'm attempting these things so that I can be this really top-notch Christian. And I think Paul addresses that as we get to verse number 3. He says, For I say through the grace given unto me. The grace. 
that's been given unto me. That which I did not deserve has been given unto me. He says, "This is I'm saying this because of this grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Lest we be prideful beyond measure. Paul had a messenger of Satan that came and buffeted him. He besought the Lord thrice to take it away, and God said, My grace is sufficient. But two different times Paul said that God did it lest I should be exalted above measure. God sent that so that I would not be exalted above measure. We ought to present our bodies a living sacrifice, but the truth of the matter is, sometimes we get caught up in this thing that we're some kind of a good Christian or exceptional Christian because of our surrender to Him or our yieldedness to Him. And the truth of the matter is we're just an ordinary, plain Christian. Somebody said one time, a great definition, I think, for humility, that humility is not thinking more of yourself than you ought, neither is it thinking less of yourself than you ought. It's simply not thinking of yourself. And all oh, that we would get to that point. That we would get to that point. Yielded to God. I fear that so often our preaching is affecting the outside condition. And Paul addresses that as we get to verse number 2. As he says, and be not conformed to this world. Years ago when I would travel through the state of Florida in the turnpike, they had toll plazas. And uh, I remember sometimes my dad would stop uh, the toll plazas, and inside there they had these machines that you could put a quarter in, I think, at the time, or it might have been 50 cents, and big plexiglass window you could watch, and these two big steel blocks would come together with two big pistons, and all of a sudden you'd see steam and smoke coming out of them. And then they would open up, and they had injected wax up inside of there, and it had made some kind of a little sculpture that was pressed and molded together with that, those things, and it would hold it there for a few moments to cool, and then it would drop it out. And I remember collecting those things over the years. One day I was reading this passage, and I got to this point about it being not conformed to this world. And I thought, you know, I, I believe that we can say that this word conformed is a lot like that mold was. That with great pressure and great heat, it molded outwardly this wax. I got that thing of wax out of that machine and I took it home and I was walking through my bedroom one day and I stepped on it and it crushed and, and just crumpled up because the inside was hollow. I thought, boy, what a picture of the Christian life. So many times we try to outwardly put on something that we uh, try to present to others. And really it's just pride, I believe, that does this. We try to look at Scripture. We try to be outwardly what we ought to be. We try to look a certain way. We try to talk a certain way. And I think we ought to look a certain way. I think we ought to talk a certain way. But I think it ought to come from the heart. I shared a story several months ago, and I don't know if all of you were here, but years ago in the War for Independence here in the United States of America, a man by the name of Francis Marion, who was known as the Swamp Fox, had some of his men captured and uh, had captured also some prisoners from the British and had arranged for a prisoner transfer from one of the captains of the ship. He uh, invited the captain to his camp and they brought him into the camp and they discussed the details of the uh, prisoner exchange. And once that was over, 
Francis Marion, being a gentleman, invited the captain to stay and have dinner with him. And the captain, uh, not wanting to be an, uh, an ill-minded guest, decided he would stay. And so they went through the camp. They found the best that the camp had at the time were two wild potatoes they'd found growing. They took them and roasted them in the embers of the fire. And he set one between before the captain, and he took one, and they began to eat. And the captain was doing his best to eat the potato that was in front of him, but with no buttering and seasoning on it. It was very dry potato. He was choking it down, and about halfway through, he laid his plate down. He told Francis Mary, and he said, I'm not trying to be offensive, but he said, I don't know how you guys can eat this stuff. <clears throat> he said, you must pay your men very well in order to fight the way that they do. And Francis Mary said, what do you mean? The captain said, we're on half rations on the ship and we eat better than this. And our men are deserting every day because of the hardships on the ship. He said, I look around here, your men don't have shoes on. They're eating things like this. He said, you must pay them very well. And Francis Marion said, sir, we don't pay them a dime. The commander of the ship was astounded by that. And he said, how do you get your men to fight the way they do? This is what Francis Marion said. He said, it is the heart. That is all. If a man is interested, he will do or suffer anything. And all that God's people would be that way. That we would be interested in the things of God. We spoke this morning of the urgency and the burden of seeing the lost with renewed eyes and renewed vision. Open my eyes that I may see. I love that song. I'm glad Brother Keith sang it tonight. We're in need of having our vision restored that we can see clearly again. That our hearts will understand the urgency of the hour and the urgency of the day. I present, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. There ought to be a difference. And it ought to be on the inside. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I've heard preachers preach that there are three wills of God. A good one, an acceptable, and a perfect one. I'm not going to argue with them and split hairs over it. I don't have enough despair to do that. I believe it's all the same. God's will is good. It is acceptable and it is perfect. We've got to find out what it is that God has for us and then get involved in it. I want to urge our church tonight, I've, I've asked this morning that we begin praying and seeking for God to give us a renewed burden for the lost, that our eyes would be opened, that we would have compassion on them once again. Now I'm going to ask our church, if they will, to be transformed by the renewing of their hearts. That we'll allow God to do something inwardly in our hearts. You know, we can come to a church service and we can weep and we can shed tears and if we're not careful... We'll do like the book of James says, that we'll behold our face in a natural glass and leave and straightway forget what manner of men and women we are. But that we would leave this place with the burden of the lost on our hearts. Yielded. Transformed. Not just a surface thing. Not just something that happened in a, in a church service one morning. But that God would change our hearts. By the renewing of our minds. You say, how do I do that? I think one of the greatest things that we ought to be doing is saturating our lives with His Word. 
the sins of the mind, the, the, the fact that God ought to have full reign and control of our hearts and minds is, is certainly apparent and obvious from Scripture. And yet the only way that we can have our minds and our hearts controlled and yielded to Him is as we submit it to the Word of God. Psalm 119 and verse number 9, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy what? According to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. All of it. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. That we would saturate ourselves. That we would have this walk with God that is an intimate and a personal walk with God. Folks, I don't know how else to plead with you other than to say I feel somewhat like Paul sometimes. But I want to beseech folks. I want to plead with them. I want to beg with them. That we would present our lives, our bodies, a living sacrifice to God. We'd give it all to Him. To say as Ornan did, Lord, I give it all. You can have it all. The first year after 9-11 took place, on the one-year anniversary, I was listening to a Christian radio station. I was driving a school bus at the time and listening to a Christian radio station. I pulled into the church, and we got ready to park the bus, and there was a testimony that was being given by one of the survivors that was very gripping to me, and I sat and listened to it after I arrived at the church for several moments until I finished hearing the testimony. The lady that had... uh, survived had been somewhere around the the 40th floor somewhere in that range i think of the building if i remember correctly the elevators weren't working they had to come down the steps and uh, they were trying to evacuate the building there's a lot of chaos nobody knows what's going on the power's down and they go to the very bottom floor and they got ready to leave and a man was standing there by the doors there were a wall of doors to exit the building and she could see a bunch of debris piled up against the doors. And the man said, you can't get out. The doors are blocked. You're going to have to go up a couple of flights to a street level. You're going to have to go out there. So they went back up a couple of flights of stairs to a street level. They got to a door where the door was not blocked. And a policeman was standing there and he was holding people back, watching as the debris fell. And he would try to time it so that the folks could run in between the debris and not be hit by the debris that was falling from the building. Finally, he looked at the group of folks that were standing there and he said, when you think you can make it, just run. The lady, in her own words, as she was telling the story, began to look out the door and saw a point where she thought she could make it. Rubble and debris lying everywhere outside in a crumbled mess. She began to run and she started climbing and clambering over some of the rubble there. As I listened to the radio, I heard her say, for whatever reason, she looked over to her one of her sides, I think it was her left or her right, and saw a man that had been burned by the fuel and the flames that had fallen down from the building when the initial crash happened. And his eyes had been burnt so bad he was blind, he was feeling his way around on the rubble. She said, I looked across and he was far away, there was a lot of noise, and she said, I watched and my heart broke as I realized he was not running away from the building, but he was running towards the building and did not even know it. She said, I stood on the top of that pile of rubble and hollered it as loud as I could, Sir, you're going the wrong way. She said, I hollered it two or three or four times and realized that with all the sound that was going on and the shock that he must have been in, he couldn't hear me. 
she wept on that radio interview and she said, I don't know what happened to him other than he was going towards the building the last time I saw him. I thought, you know, we live in a world where there are people all around us that are going the wrong way and they just don't know it. There need to be some folks that will stand up and say, we're going the wrong way. You're going the wrong way. It's going to take some yielded people. It's going to take some folks that will say, Lord, I give you all of it. It's going to take some folks that will lay their life down and say, Lord, it's not precious to me. I'm going to give it to you. I wonder, as we leave tonight, we've had almost a whole day now of just focusing on this idea. Are we concerned for the lost? Are we concerned for the lost? I hope we are. I hope as we leave here tonight, just by way of a reminder, we present our bodies willingly, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is just our reasonable service. And let's not think more highly than we ought to. That's just reasonable, folks. That doesn't even make us exceptional. That doesn't make us the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't make us any kind of big, important person. It's just simply reasonable. I want to challenge you with that tonight. It's not been something new, but it's something that we, have, we need to be reminded of from time to time. That we present our bodies a living sacrifice. Let's stand together. Lord, we're thankful for your word. I pray that you'll use it. 